another episode of Podmine from Outer Space. Cue the music! So, this one was your fault. It was. I take the blame entirely. But also, I'm not sorry. So it was... What was it? Joint French and Czechoslovakian. Like all the best films. Animation. Yeah. About... Humans have been taken to another planet and are both an infestation and a pet. And then one of them escapes and finds a feral population. And then they go to a second planet and there's a battle between them and the giant blue aliens and then they decide to be friends. Yep. If you guessed the um, the name of this film, you can win a shard of mug. <laughs> it's going to be the title of the episode. Oh, yeah. It's Is that why they don't get a whole mug? Yeah. It's not really worth much. So, in case you haven't guessed or read the title of the episode... Which you might not have. You might have this on autoplay. Yeah. The film is Fantastic Planet. And it's from the 70s, and boy howdy can you tell. Howdy boys indeed. You can certainly tell. Like, if you read... If your favourite part of Monty Python's Flying Circus is the weird little animated bits, you'll love this film. Yeah. Especially, um... Like the foot coming from heaven and stuff like that. Oh yeah, because that... like it starts off with a giant hand coming from the sky and flicking someone. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm loath to call things Pythonesque, simply on account of how that just describes things that are funny and not overtly racist. Mm. But that was Pythonesque. Yeah, like I haven't enjoyed a lot of Terry Gilliam's non-Python stuff. But the animations in Monty Python are top-notch. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm convinced that he has seen this film. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm just imagining what Brazil would be like with this kind of animation. Better? Yeah, probably. Stranger, but better. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there's, there's plenty of stuff that I like in that film. But as... And I think there's, that goes for a lot of Gilliam stuff. There's... There's plenty of bits that I go, oh, yeah, I'm really enjoying that. And then less so. But... Yeah, you can see why he was less involved with the writing the films. Yeah. He does good on a, on a short thing. But this isn't about Terry Gilliam. No. This is about René Lelou and Roland Topor, which I'm probably saying wrong. I think you should say them again five times fast. No. Okay. I will mangle the name of the person that did the music for this film, though, because the music was amazing. Alan Geriger? I'm going with Geriger. Let's go with Geriger. (laughs) You you lived in France. You make an attempt. I just want to to call him Geriger. Okay. He's probably not listening. Probably dead. If you are, good job, Alan. Yeah. Merci Beaucoup. Beauchamp. Yeah. <laughs> Champs-Élysées. Yes.
Notre Dame, je suis Amélie. Défense de cracher. Au revoir. <laughs> now that we've got all of our French out of the way, I want to I wanna go into... Wait, the... do you know any Czech? Not offhand. Okay. Um, yeah, before we move on, I do want to go into a bit more detail about the music. Because, as you said, you can tell it's a 70s film. Partly because visually it's very um, takes a lot from classic mid twentieth um, century sci-fi. Yeah, like if you if you follow anything like Tales from Weirdland, it's going to be quite a familiar aesthetic. Yeah, it did it did look a lot like um, some pulp magazine covers brought to life, which is fantastic. But the music was there was a lot of wah. Yeah, it's very seventies in the best way. Mm. There was, there was Which com- I think is a summary of this film. Yeah. A combination of a lot of war and also some real kind of, I want to say, blissed out vintage electronica. Yeah, a lot of it felt like a music video your dad might put on. Yeah, it's... Because there's a lot of sort of bits in between the story where we just kind of see weird, weird alien stuff. And all of that looks like a dad music video. Yeah. It's, I'd say it's like Michel Gondry and Terry Gilliam teamed up to make a a music video about an album which is a collaboration between Air and Funkadelic. I'd watch that. I'd listen to that. I would I would want that. I, I want would, that. I would cherish it. I'd, I'd take it into my bosom <laughs> and nurture it as if it were my own bairn. <laughs> So, as, as someone who knows anything about music production, what yeah. what what are your more coherent opinions on the music? Because my opinions, as someone that cannot play an instrument in any way, shape, or form, is pretty much I I like it. It's good. Yeah, there's. I think um, one thing I found interesting was it didn't necessarily add to the drama of what was happening because there were some moments of um, of mu- musical um, confluence with the action which was kind of what some people call like Mickey Mouse style or sort of cartoony where you'd have somebody get hit and fall over and there would be an accompanying musical sound effect which really takes you out of it I think. Mm. And yeah, during the chase sequences there was a lot of war going on, which while great, honestly doesn't give that much of a sense of urgency. It's... I mean, one of the other places I've I've heard that happen was in the Disney 70s Robin Hood. Which... Yeah, didn't... That, that's the not furry one, right? That, that's the furry, furry one. Okay. Um... I didn't where, know that was that old. Yeah, it was um, like mid late seventies or something. Maybe early. What one of the seventies? <laughs> I mean there were ten of them. Yes. Ten whole seventies. And in one of those, this film came out. This one is from seventy three, if there that's what you were trying to remember. <laughs> yeah, seventy three. Yeah, it's I think in terms of general mood setting, when it wasn't about um, a specific setting up a chase sequence it wasn't about 
trying to add some gravity to a dangerous situation, when it was about the mood of the planets, when it was about um, these kind of quite ethereal creatures moving. The music accompanying that was like very blissful almost, very spaced out in, in every way. It felt quite contemporary almost. I'd, I definitely listened to music like that that's, that's released um, a lot more recently. Mm. And in fact, something I'm going to do later is try and see if it's up on Spotify or something like that or on YouTube so I can just have it as background music for doing stuff. Yeah, it is very, like, there's a stereotype within the trans community of trans women creating certain types of music. Yeah. And I feel like this feels like trans music. Yeah. In the best possible way. That's why we're gravitating towards it. <laughs> Maybe. Um... But the the etherealness, you definitely do get it. The giant blue aliens, who I believe were called the Drag. Yeah. Um. Their whole thing was like meditation to prolong their lives, and they have all these, you know, all these weird sci-fi technologies, but also astral projection into statues on this second planet that they then make have sex and that's how they prolong their lives. Because why not? Why not indeed? Yeah, it's been it's been an hour, maybe a couple hours since I watched this film and I'm just running it over in my head to work out what the hell I feel about it. Yeah, it takes a while to process, I think. Mm. I think that's one of the reasons why it's a kind of semi-respected film. It's one of the more respectable, oddly enough, one of the more respectable films I've chosen for this uh, podcast because it was uh, given a a restoration and re-release by Criterion and Janus Films, which which are known for, among other things... Uh, putting out works of of classic world cinema like Kurosawa or uh, Jean Renoir. Oh yeah, I've I've, I've seen some some Janus films. I think mm. I can't think what they were offhand because they weren't those. Because you probably guessed by now from the selections, I don't really lean towards art cinema. And I sadly do. But you know, that's we balance each other out. We do. Tell you what, one crossover, one kind of uh, crossover thing we both like. Some of us, uh, Bunwell films. That's yes, that's Janus. Bunwell is fun. Okay, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Bunwell is fun. Founded in 1968 by Hugh Janus. I remind you, this is a clean podcast. He was a fastidious man. Okay. Two showers a day. Anyway, but I've I've been spending the two hours since we watched it, um, among other things, trying to figure out if it was trying to say anything because the way that the people, the humans are treated, is very kind of the worst excesses of fashion pets. Yeah, 
with also some dog fighting. Mm. As in, they are the dogs. I think there's two who have their hair tied together and they're made to fight. Yeah. It's kind of... It's halfway between a Petter ad and Planet of the Apes. Which is very confusing when you're trying to work out why... Like what they're actually trying to say. I is it be be nice to our pets or they'll take over? See, the the thing with that is, um, oh my god, I'm actually popping on my serious film analysis hat for a moment. It's a bit dusty, but I'll see what I can do with it. The thing with that is thinking that on the extreme ends of of dehumanization and occupation, there is the line kind of blurs. I mean, you did have human zoos. True. And when, um, more more glibly, whenever I see some 60s or 70s sci-fi that deals with an occupying or oppressing force, I tend to assume Vietnam reference. They're not an occupying force, though. The humans were brought to this planet as a sort of novelty. And then ended up with some I, I don't want to say domesticated but because that, that's implies selective breeding which I don't think is happening but some kept as pets and some more feral populations Yeah. so really the closest analogy would be like a pet rodent but if those pet rodents then combined forces with the feral rodents and the like the wild sewer rats and killed an MP is probably the closest equivalent of the position of the drug that gets killed. If sewer rats teamed up with pet rats and killed an MP, wouldn't that be wild, is the message of this film, I've decided. Okay, that sounds awesome, and we need to make that film. <laughs> Five goes bananas. Bible's bad fur day. <laughs> oh, side note: Don't watch Bible Goes West. It's not as good as I remember. I I hadn't seen it, but it wasn't good. American Tail still slaps. American Tail is fantastic. Yeah, it's got. It's, it's all about them, them good themes like, story wise and music wise. And otherwise wise. Mm. But go, going back to like the thematic stuff of the film, though, there's also the boss of the feral population treats them very similarly to how the drugs treat them, mm. which I think is quite cool. Um, just sort of as a concept, like he restricts access to education for uncertain reasons. He thinks it will make them more like the drug. Yeah, it does does seem to be that it is kind of the assumption that the education they could get access to would be more propaganda than anything. Mm. It's like, it is to some extent, but it also helps them to escape. Um, but he also makes them settle disputes through fighting, which... I don't know, their population... Because, because of them being teeny tiny pests, they're regularly... Like removed, let's say, from various drug 
buildings and places, including the park that they're currently all hiding in. So, like, having fights to the death when your population is under that kind of threat doesn't seem like the best idea. Not the best, no. Especially over quite minor things like should we learn to read? Hi, I'm Hazel and I make a podcast with Liz called Bread and Thread, which you might enjoy if you are a fan of food or clothes or other interesting parts of domestic history. We find out interesting facts about things like regional foods, ancient breeds of sheep, um, pretty much anything domestic history. So if you'd like to know why it's illegal to import a sheep into Iceland, and what was presented by Queen Victoria to Harriet Tubman, then you might want to check out Bread and Thread. Find us at Bread and Thread on Twitter, or find us everywhere podcasts exist. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mod, I'm Mod Paper from Polybad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas, as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast. Available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. I mean, learning to read isn't minor generally, but in the context of this, it ends up being quite a minor dispute. Generally speaking, PTA meetings don't end in trial by combat. It would make them more interesting. It would, but... It's a little bit off and black. They tried it once in Swansea. And it didn't retake. They got back up. Whoa. Yeah. Speaking of the park thing, that's one thing I very much liked is how this, um, how they managed to work in the whole uh, difference in scale very well. Mm. The education of um, the protagonist happened kind of by accident because he's so small and was relatively unnoticed when his owner was listening to her lessons, he managed to pick up on it. Because it was a sci-fi headset. And he had this kind of control collar, which ended up picking up some of the lessons. So it was kind of being broadcast straight into her brain, but also out of his collar. Which is a really cool conceit. It really is. I, I absolutely loved that, because it was... I, th I think that a good a good act break in a story in, th in that in a good act break things can happen by chance there can be happy accidents but then what matters is the protagonist taking initiative and I think that did that did start to happen those yeah because like, he started listening to it on his own didn't he yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna explore as much as I can I'm gonna learn as much as I can. There was a little little spark that started off a fire. And to come back to that scale thing, um, I like the, the park, which is, you know, the epitome of controlled nature, becomes this wilderness when you're so much smaller. Mm. And that's, that's a lovely use of scale in both the setting and as a core part of the plot. It was... It makes them more vulnerable, but also more able to sneak around and more able to manipulate the environment to their advantage in some ways. It's a lovely David and Goliath kind of story. Definitely.
and yeah, now that I'm thinking more about it, that was I really, really enjoyed that as much as I laughed at it and found a lot of it very, very weird and a, a little bit um, booby. Yeah, a lot of boobs. Not hugely sexualized, just in the kind of I'm wearing the lady version of a loincloth and one of my boobs is out kind of way. That said, there was a point where the leader of the humans put a special light on everyone and then the lady stripped and everyone got horny. Yeah. I think... Which I I honestly think is just a product of it being from the 70s and also French. It's French and from the 70s. You got no chance. There's there's gonna be boobs. Yeah, I I didn't actually mind the whole loincloth thing so much like desexualized breasts in that kind of environment felt natural it's yeah. just yeah sure why wouldn't why wouldn't they not have our particular hang-ups especially because the drug dress like that as well yeah. it, it's not like the whole oh the slave race have their boobs out it's hang- just everyone has their boobs out hang-ups in this case meaning bras i believe the technical term is over shoulder boulder holder sit corrected so what did we learn I learned that you should probably be nicer to sewer rats I learned that there are better ways to talk out your problems than trial by combat but you had to learn that well yeah it wasn't that Swansea okay and that Reading can be good sometimes. That's fair. And I want to watch more seventies French sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, that that may be one of many things that with we feel is going to make a return. Oh yeah. Do you have any thoughts on what's coming next? I haven't decided yet. Okay. In the meantime, um, let's talk about campness, because I'm not sure if we actually rated the previous film in terms of campness. I don't think we did. No. But I, th- I think it can be taken as read that it was very camp. I can't remember which one that was. Catwomen of the Moon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Um... Yeah. But this one, I think, not hugely. No. It was weird, but I don't think camp would be the right word. No. It was, I don't know, it was just kind of generally wild. Or possibly feral. It was a couple of chalets at all tomorrow's parties. Where there's a camp factor going on, but the overriding impression is that of hipster oddness with guitars. So it wasn't so much camp as glamp? Yeah. I'd say so. That's fair. So, um... I've been thinking, and I know that a couple of our regular listeners who I love and appreciate so much have Tumblr, so I was wondering... Just because this feels like a very Tumblr concept, whether we should have a Tumblr. 
I think we should. So I'll set that up and I'll put on the Twitter, which is... I'm going to have to check. I'm sorry, I should know this. Yeah. Um, so I'll put on the Twitter, which is pod9podcast, when, when we get a Tumblr, which I will probably also use as a place to post about all of the other terrible films that I watch because I love sci-fi original movies. Um, if you want to support us, you can go to ko-fi.com slash pod9. Help us with hosting and things like that. And also just surviving lockdown. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you very much, and I will meet you in the next episode on the special meditation horny planet. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.